Now, you may not know it, but look at the person next to you and say, your body is about 60% water. Go ahead and tell the person next to you. Tell them right now. I'm diabetic, and so I drink water all the time, so I'm a high achiever. My percentage may be higher than that because I can't get enough water. Now, you can't live without water. If you've got uh, a body that weighs 150 pounds, then that means that you've got about 12 gallons of water inside of you. I can't remember weighing 150 pounds. It was a long, long time ago, so I got more than that inside of me. You can't live without water. When you get dehydrated, I'll tell you what happens. Your muscles cramp and you start having headaches. And it's the number one cause of fatigue with people today is a lack of water. Did you know that your brain shuts down without water? So go get a drink and come back because I want you to hear this message today. It's going to be good, okay? Now, we've all heard about people out in the desert, and they've been lacking for water. They go days without it, and they actually lose their minds out there. The worst part of surgery, if you have to have surgery, they won't give you water. They give you ice chips, and you have to suck on those, but you don't get water. Hey, when you need water, you need water, don't you? Now, the fifth word of Jesus on the cross is, I am thirsty. There are a lot of words that Jesus said that we can't say. They don't relate to us, but boy, this one does, doesn't it? Every person here knows what it's like to be thirsty. In fact, the more I talk about it, the thirstier you're getting this morning, right? There are a lot of words that Jesus said. So I'm going to call on this word, the word of humanity. The word of humanity, I am thirsty. It's the shortest of the seven words that we're looking at on the cross, and Jesus says it, I am thirsty. Now, Jesus was on the cross for six hours. The last three sayings of Jesus included this one, and they're said in the final seconds before he died. We read this in John 19, which says, Later, knowing that everything had now been finished, so that Scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge in it, put the sponge on the stalk of a hyssop plant, and lifted it up to Jesus' lips. Now listen, six hours earlier on the cross, when the soldiers offered Jesus something to drink, he refused, but now he accepts the drink. The Bible tells us in Mark, this is the first offering, Then they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. Earlier on the cross, when he was first crucified, he wouldn't take it. Why did Jesus refuse the wine mixed with myrrh? Do you remember when baby Jesus had the wise men come to visit him? They brought gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Now, myrrh was a narcotic that's used as a painkiller. The executioners offered Jesus a painkiller with wine right after they crucified him, and he refuses because he didn't want to be anesthetized while he was taking the sins of the world upon himself. Now, by the way, why did soldiers offer people who were being crucified something to drink? It was for their own benefit. They did not want to hear the criminals scream. 
Crucifixion was a long, drawn-out process, and people would often scream all the way through it. So the Roman soldiers would give them wine mixed with myrrh to quiet down the criminals they were killing. Now it says, later, knowing that everything had now been finished. This is the second offering of something to drink. After he had finished paying for our sins, God's justice was now satisfied. After the scripture had been fulfilled, now he says, I am thirsty. When he says, I am thirsty, I want you to know something. That is the cry of hell. Did you know there's no water in hell? The Bible says that people are eternally thirsty in hell. It's total darkness. The Bible says there's a river in heaven, but there's no water in hell, only fire. Why did Jesus say, I am thirsty? Jesus experienced enormous pain leading up to the crucifixion, yet he never said a word about his own personal pain. Now he says, I am thirsty. Why did he say that? Well, obviously he's thirsty, but there's a practical reason. He needs to moisten his lips so that he can shout these last two phrases of victory. He wanted his voice to be clear. See, there's a theological reason, and there's a prophetic reason, and there's a personal reason that we're going to see today. The first thing we learn about Jesus when he says, I am thirsty, is, number one, he was human. He was human. That's the first thing. We know that Jesus was God, but he was also human. The Bible says in Philippians, instead, he gave up his divine privileges, took the humble position of a slave, and was born as a human being when he appeared in human form. He humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on the cross. So here's the second thing. It shows that he was the promised Savior. That's number two. The Bible says, so that the scriptures would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. See, God kept telling the Jewish nation, the Israelites, I'm going to come to earth in the form of the Messiah, and you're going to know it when I come. And then he gave them 380 plus predictions that we call prophecies today. For Jesus to be who he claimed to be, he would have to fulfill every one of those prophecies. And actually, he did fulfill them, every single one of them. They said the Messiah must be born in Bethlehem, and he was. They said that he had to grow up in Nazareth. They said he would be raised from the dead. He would be betrayed by a friend. They said he would hang on a cross. That prophecy was made a thousand years before they had even invented crucifixion. One of the prophecies that they said is that there would be people to gamble for his clothes. And that's what the Roman soldiers did at the foot of the cross. They said he would be tortured. They said that he would forgive his captors. And what did he say, Father? Forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. They said that he would die a cruel death. They said he'd be buried in a rich man's tomb that nobody had ever used before. And then he would come back to life three days later. The probability of one person fulfilling those 380-plus predictions is astronomical. In fact, it takes more faith to believe that Jesus was not the Messiah than to believe that he was. Jesus was hanging on a cross, and there were one last prophecy that had to be fulfilled. The psalmist said in Psalm 69, They gave me vinegar 
for my thirst. Now, let me ask you a question. What in the world is a jar of vinegar doing at an execution site? What those soldiers offered to Jesus was something called Pascha, P-A-S-C-A. That was the standard drink of the day. The Roman legion drank it. The most popular drink among the lower class people in Greece and Rome for about 300 years was Pascha. Pascha was the poor man's drink. They would take wine that had turned into vinegar. They would mix it then with water. They would dilute it and add herbs to it and make it a tasty drink. They carried it in their canteens and jugs and pitchers. Wherever they went, the poor people drank it because it was very inexpensive. But there were some other benefits to it actually as well. It covered up the bad taste of the water because in those days the water didn't taste good. It either had sulfur in it or it was just filthy. Certainly it wasn't clean. So by adding vinegar to it, it masked the taste of the water and gave it flavor and it quenched the thirst of those who were thirsty. There were other benefits. It was actually healthier to drink this than to drink the water because they put vinegar in it, and it actually, that acidity killed the bacteria in the water. And the vitamin C helped prevent scurvy. Everybody drank Pascha. It's vinegar water, and that's what they gave Jesus when he was on the cross. Then it goes on to say they also took a hyssop stick and put a sponge on the end of it why did they use a sponge? Because Jesus' hands were nailed to the cross. He couldn't hold a cup. So they took this hyssop stick and they put a sponge on it and they dipped it and then they held it up to him so that he might drink it. Jesus is on the cross and he says, I am thirsty. And they go get a hyssop branch. They put a sponge on it. They reach it up to him. And it's significant. What's significant about that? Now, any Jew would know the significance of what they were doing because it goes all the way back to the days of Moses. God told the Jewish people that he was going to send a spirit through the land that was going to kill all the firstborn sons in a plague. Now, you remember this was back in Egypt. And he, Moses kept telling Pharaoh, let my people go. So God said, here's the last plague that's going to happen. But he said, for you who are my children, he says, what I want you to do to show that you have faith in me, here's what I want you to do. I want you to sacrifice a lamb, and then I want you to paint the doorpost of your houses, paint it above and paint it on the sides with blood from that lamb, so that when the death angel comes through, he might pass over your house. That's where we get the word Passover, and Jews still celebrate Passover today. Now, what they were supposed to paint it with was a hyssop branch. God tells Moses and the Jews in Exodus, take a bunch of hyssop, dip it into the blood of the basin, put some of the blood on the top and both sides of the door frame. When they took a hyssop branch and put a sponge on it and held it up to Jesus who was dying and bleeding for the sins of the world, Every Jew who watched it knew what that meant. Hey, that's another sign for the Messiah. This guy is the true lamb of God. He's dying for the sins of the world. This is the true savior of the world. So when Jesus says, I'm thirsty, he does two things. It shows that he really is human and he is God. And it shows that he really is the promised Messiah. 
He finishes all of the prophecies. Third, it shows that he really loves me. That's number three. Jesus is willing to suffer and thirst for me in order that I might go to heaven. Jesus is doing what's called redemptive suffering. That's when you suffer on somebody else's behalf. People in, in his life, he had never sinned, yet they're killing him. Why? Because he's dying for the redemption of others. He's paying for your sins and mine. Have you ever gone thirsty for somebody else's benefit? The Bible says in Romans, but God demonstrated his own love for us in this, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Now, what did Jesus do? He gave his life so that our lives might be saved. On August the 16th, 1987, in Detroit, Michigan, Flight 225 of Northwest Airlines took off for about 20 seconds, and then it crashed, and it killed 155 people on that plane. There was just one person who lived through that crash. It was a little four-year-old girl named Cecilia, and she was from Tempe, Arizona. She explained what her mother had done for her when the plane started to descend, and they knew that it was going to crash. Her mother took off her seatbelt. She turned around in the seat. She held on to her little girl and cushioned that break, that fall, with her body. To protect her little girl, the mother died so that the daughter could live. She gave her life for her daughter. What did Jesus do for you and me? God demonstrated his love for us by sending Jesus to die on the cross so that we might live. What most people don't know is this. The phrase, I thirst, was the life verse for Mother Teresa. Mother Teresa said it's our duty to quench the thirst of Christ by helping other people who are thirsty. You and I can't help Jesus on the cross today, can we? But we can help those around us. And she was saying, when I do that, I'm helping Christ. Love in action is when we meet the needs of other people in their thirstiness. Did you know that there are billions of people who are spiritually thirsty today? Now, nobody's going to come up to you and say, you know, my problem is I'm spiritually thirsty because they don't know that. They don't understand that. But I'm going to give you some synonyms for what they will say. I'm bored. I'm unhappy. I don't feel fulfilled in my life. I'm unsatisfied. I'm stressed out. And in the book of Amos, it says this. The time is surely coming, says the Sovereign Lord, when I will send a famine on the land. And it's not a famine of bread and water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. People will stagger from sea to sea, and they will wander from border to border, searching for the word of the Lord, but they will not find it. Beautiful girls, strong young men will grow faint in that day, Thirsting for the Lord's word. That's a perfect description of our society today. People look good on the outside, but they're empty on the inside. 
depressed, discouraged, defeated, in despair, empty, unfulfilled, unsatisfied, hopping from one thing to another, looking for what's going to quench their thirst, what's going to meet their needs. And what is our responsibility as believers for those people? What are we supposed to do for the world? Well, Doug Nichols tells us we're supposed to do what he did. Doug Nichols, a minister, was a missionary in India. And he wrote this in his own words. It's his story. It's what happened to him. He said, when I got tuberculosis in India, I was forced to stay in a sanitarium for several months. I didn't speak their language, but I tried to give out Christian literature in their language to patients and doctors and nurses, but everybody politely refused. Nobody wanted my literature. The first night I woke up around 2 o'clock in the morning coughing. And during one of my coughing spells, I noticed there was an older man in the room across the way, sicker than I was with TB. He was a patient in the room, and he was trying to get out of bed. This old man would get up and sit up on the edge of his bed, but when he tried to stand, his weakness was just too much, and he would fall back into the bed. He did it over and over and over. He said, I didn't understand what he was trying to do. Finally, he gave up exhausted, but I could hear him crying softly in bed. The next morning, he said, I realized that he had been trying to get up and go to the bathroom. The stench in our ward was awful. Other patients yelled insults to the man. Angry nurses moved him roughly as they cleaned up his mess, and one nurse actually slapped him. The old man curled up in a ball. And wept. The next night I woke up again coughing. I noticed the same old man trying to get out of bed. Like the night before, he fell back, whimpering, unable to get up. So I got out of my bed and I went over to help him. And when I touched his shoulder, his eyes opened wide with fear, but he smiled. I smiled at him and I put my arms under him and I didn't say a word. I just picked him up. He was very light due to his old age and advanced TB, so I just carried him to the bathroom, which was a filthy small room with a hole in the floor. I stood behind him and held him up with my arms under his armpits while he went to the restroom. And after he finished, I carried him back to bed, and as I laid him down, he kissed me on the cheek and smiled. And he said something in Indian, but I couldn't understand the next morning, I was awakened by another patient. He handed me a steaming hot cup of tea. He motioned with his hands that he wanted one of those pamphlets I had about the gospel, and I gave it to him. As the sun rose, other patients started coming to me. They also indicated they wanted one of those little books I was giving away that shared the love of Jesus. Nobody had been interested in them before. Throughout the day, nurses and interns and doctors came and asked me for a little booklet about Jesus. And weeks later, a pastor who spoke the language visited, visited me, and he told me that several people in the hospital had given their lives to Christ as a result of reading those little pamphlets in their language. So what did it take to reach those people for God? It wasn't my ability to speak the language. It wasn't my persuasive presentation. I just helped an old man go to the bathroom.
What are you willing to do to help people go to heaven? Are you willing to say, come ride with me. I'll take you to Easter. That's what being a Christian is all about. Helping people in need. And there are thirsty people all around us. Let us pray. Oh God, your word teaches us. Those who have ears to hear. Let them hear. In your son's name I pray. Amen.